Good evening, and welcome to Christ Church. I especially want to welcome you if this is your first time, your first time in a long time, um, and for those of you that are joining us online. My name is Mike Skunis. I am one of the vicars here, um, which is just a really fancy way of saying a pastor in training. And I want to thank you for being here on this most special and holy of nights um, of Ash Wednesday. This is a tradition that has gone back years, millennia almost, in which people remember um, a time of repentance and a time of reflection. Tonight you will hear these words spoken over you, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. These are the words that God speaks over Adam and Eve when they are cursed with mortality for their sin. And we are not going to talk about that at all. Instead, we are starting our first series called Temple Steps in which we talk about the life of Jesus and specifically narrowing in on that week before his death and resurrection. Our story tonight is about Jesus and the merchants. And before we get into that story, you guys are going to need a little bit of context. And so here's what's been happening. So Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, the most holy city for the Israelites and for the Hebrew people. Jews from all over the Mediterranean and, in fact, all over the world would come and congregate in Jerusalem for one week out of the year during Passover, which was the most high of all the Jewish holidays. And specifically, even Passover was a time of reflection and repentance for them, um, that often they would come to the temple, and a big part of being in the temple uh, would be to atone for their sins from the year prior. Now, inside of this Jewish theology of sin and what it means to be forgiven and receive uh, absolution, there's this idea that sin requires sacrifice. And so when people would come and they would reflect on their year, if they felt like, ah, it was a good year, maybe they only had a small sacrifice that they had to give back to God. But if they felt like this has been a terrible year, misfortune has come upon my house, or I have been a terrible person, a terrible human being, then the bigger the sin, the bigger the sacrifice. And so what it looked like for these people is they would come to the temple seeking this absolution, this forgiveness. And if your sin was small, maybe you would sacrifice a dove. And so you would come to the temple and there would be all of these merchants who were out in the temple courts, and they would have these booths and tables set up, um, and there would be animals, and there would be people that were changing money. Um, and so all of you amateur ornithologists are going to have to suspend your disbelief and pretend this is a dove for a second. Um, and specifically, the dove was because um, doves are white, and it symbolized purity. And so when you sacrifice this pure animal, um, then that could wash away and cover your sins. But maybe your sin was a little bit bigger. Maybe, you know, there was something in your life um, that uh, was really shameful. Maybe you would have to uh, sacrifice a goat. Um, and if your sin was even bigger than that, um, maybe you would have to sacrifice a lamb. Um, this even seeps into our uh, language as Christians today. Often we refer to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the reason that we use that language is because a lamb 
can take away the biggest, largest, and most ultimate of sins. And so people would come to the temple seeking this forgiveness, this absolution, and they would come and they would buy these animals at the tables and they would also exchange their money because like I said, they were coming from all over. And so not everybody was using currency that would be accepted in Jerusalem. And so you had these tables in which you had guys exchanging money and you had people that are selling animals. Um, But there was a big problem. See, Jesus had just come into the city and there was a big parade. We often call it Palm Sunday. So he comes into the city and one of the first things that he does when he comes into the city is he goes to the temple and he sees something that is gravely wrong. Now, if you are on the outskirts of Jerusalem, maybe you're able to buy a dove, maybe you're able to buy two doves for maybe only one silver piece. But during Passover, in the temple, it might cost you six times that much or more to purchase a measly dove. And for us, like, it might seem like, oh, that's weird, but not really. How many of you guys have ever been to a professional baseball game? Oh, look at that, look at that. A couple of you guys have been there. So you've seen this principle in action. When a lot of people come together and there's no other options to buy stuff elsewhere, what do the people in this place get to do? They jack up the prices, right? And so we know this principle because for $1.50, you can get a hot dog and a soda at Costco. <laughs> but that same foot-long hot dog and, and soda at Miller Park costs $11. And so um, we see that same principle at work in the temple in Jerusalem. But here's the thing, though. You can decide whether or not you go to a baseball game, but you don't get to decide whether you sin or not. Because we as human beings, we are naturally broken. We are unable to escape the bonds of sin that grasp us and hold us tightly. And so all of these people were coming to the temple to receive forgiveness and absolution, and it was from all walks of life, not just rich people, but poor people as well. And for them, they were told that they needed to buy these animals and sacrifice them or else God would not forgive them. So Jesus walks into the temple and he doesn't see the economy at work. He doesn't see supply and demand. He sees extortion. You see, because the people that were selling these things, they were extorting the poor, the widows, those who were humbly seeking to get right with God, were being forced to pay more than they ever could just to receive absolution. And so, um, as these people were being extorted, it wasn't just that they had an option to do something else, because the priests had been telling them their entire lives that they needed to buy God's forgiveness. And so Jesus sees this system in which the priests are telling the poor that they need to buy God's forgiveness and then seeing the the temple system extorting them and making money off of that, and he is incensed. So when he sees this, he goes to the money-changing tables, and he goes over there, and he says... Sir, I disagree with your practices. I think you're charging too much. Can I see your manager, please? 
No. Jesus, upon seeing this injustice, gets angry and he knocks over the tables and he knocks it this way and he flips over. And he says to them, he says, the scriptures declare my temple will be a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. Ouch. My temple is to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So Jesus goes on, he enters the temple and begins to drive out all of the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocks over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. Now, I don't know about you, but that Jesus was not the Jesus that I learned about in Sunday school. I don't know about you, but this is the Jesus that I learned about. Zen Jesus. <laughs> the Jesus that never gets angry, the one who's all about peace and love, man, and he just has so much patience. And the thing is that it's a little bit true that Jesus has immense patience for the sinners, but he has less patience for those who are the gatekeepers of what God's righteousness is supposed to be. And so I think we have to ask ourselves, what about this situation? What about this situation made Jesus so angry? Oh yeah, you guys over there, you guys know why? That's good. Awesome. Um, well, I think it comes down to three things. Um, I think the first thing is that Jesus sees the way that money gets prioritized over God. We even hear this in his words that he says that my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And honestly, this is kind of understandable. Um, that these priests, they are just living the way that the world works. And you know what? Money, it, it does so many good things for us that for many people to get money allows security. This is how you put food on the table and a roof over your head, clothes on your back. This is how you feed your family. This is all good things, right? But the problem comes when we forget God and we forget other people because we are pursuing money. In fact, Jesus uses this analogy. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Because the dark side of money is that sometimes we use money to get our self-worth. Sometimes we measure our own self-worth by the size of our bank account. And sometimes we hurt the people that we love the most in pursuit of getting more money. You see, it's not that money cannot exist in a world that loves God, but God cannot exist in a world that we love money more than God. Because Jesus, when summing up what it means to follow God, sums it up with two commandments. He says, love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
But the two commandments of money is always get more and never get taken in a deal. And you can see already how those might be diametrically opposed to one another. For me, there's a story from my childhood that sticks out um, that's kind of a counterexample to the two commandments of money. So when I was younger, my parents owned this pontoon boat. And it had blue pontoons, and it had this wire cage around it um, to hold us all in. And um, we called it the Scooney Tunes, because there was a pontoon, and our last name was Scoonis, therefore, Scooney Tunes. Um, and we loved this boat. It was amazing. Um, but there was one fundamental problem with this boat. You see, the walls of the boat didn't go all the way down to the deck, that there was about this much space between the deck and, um, and the bottom of, um, of the walls around it. So my sister and I, we were very, very young at the time, and what do little kids like to play with? We like to play with crayons, we like to eat stuff, and eventually all of those things ended up in the water um, because they would slide out from the deck and they would fall into the water. And so it was not a very kid-friendly boat. So my parents, they decide that they're gonna sell this boat. And so we're sitting on the boat one day, and we have some friends, um, a friend specifically whose name was also Mike. We called him Mikey. Um, and Mikey's sitting on the boat just hanging out with us. And my parents are telling him, yeah, we got to sell the boat. Um, you know, we got to get rid of it and, and get a, a different one. And, uh, and so Mikey goes, well, I'll take it. How much do you want for it? And I'll never forget, my dad strokes his imaginary beard and he thinks for a moment. And he says, I'll sell it to you for two cases of old Milwaukee. And Mikey's like, what? Deal! And they shook hands, and that was the agreement. Now, what I love about that moment, and why it still sticks with me, is that even though our boat, the Scooney Tunes, was not a yacht by any means, it certainly was worth more than 48 cans of mediocre beer. Um, and what that communicated to me as a child when I saw that is that my dad prioritized his friend over getting a fair price for the boat. Because what are the two commandments of money? Always get more and never get taken in a deal. And my dad, he willingly let himself get the raw end of the deal and didn't even want money in return. Now, going back to our story, I think the second thing that Jesus found wrong with this situation is that the shepherds had become the wolves. You see, in order for the merchants to be in the temple selling their wares, who do you think they needed to pay off? That's right, the priests. And so these people were there because the priests loved money so much that they were willing to take money from the merchants to be there. Jesus even says, he says, the Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all of this and scoffed at Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your heart. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. After that, he taught daily in the temple, but 
the leading priests and the teachers of religious law began planning how to kill him, him being Jesus. Did you catch that? And the teachers of religious law began planning how to kill him. You see, we see in the gospel a lot that the Pharisees get angry at the things that Jesus teaches. And sometimes it will even say that they have murderous thoughts in their head. But here's the deal. The priests and the Pharisees, they put up with a lot of heresy, but as soon as Jesus started messing with their money, that's when their plans became real. Because less than a week after this happens, Jesus ends up on the cross. And the hearts of the priests who are supposed to be saying all of the good things about God, who are supposed to be righteous, they are the ones who are extorting the people. They are the ones who are turning people away from God. Now the last thing that I think upset Jesus about this is the entire idea that you have to pay for God's forgiveness. Over and over in the story of Jesus' life, we see that he gives forgiveness for free. When people come to him and ask for healing, he doesn't say, great, that'll be $5, please. Jesus says, you are forgiven and that your faith will heal you. So if you have come into this room tonight feeling like there is stuff that has happened in your life that you could never, ever be forgiven for, know that God's forgiveness is free. It is free, it is for you, and it is forever. And there is nothing that you have to buy, and there is no way that you have to earn God's forgiveness. That when we come to Christ, when we come to Jesus, when we come to God with contrite hearts, forgiveness is always there for us. So as we go into our world and we respond to this story, I have just one question for you. What would it look like to love God's people more than money? Because ultimately, that is the question that Jesus is asking when he flips this table. For me, I saw this in action not too long ago. See, me and, and my friend Chris, we went to a Bucks game not too long ago. And it was on a Monday night, um, and great game. Giannis didn't play, um, so that was all right. Um, but, um, but they still won anyway, and as we're leaving the game, um, we're headed back out to the car, and it's, it's late. It's a Monday night. Um, my wife, Rachel, is at home with the baby, and like, I'm just like, it's time to go. Like, I'm, I'm already in bed by now, usually. Like, we need to get out of here. And so we're walking from the forum out to, um, out to our car, and uh, we had to park kind of far away, and as we're walking, we kind of like walk into this area um, with like strip clubs and bars, and I'm like, oh, this is not a nice area. Like, let's walk a little bit faster, please. Um, and as we're walking, there's this guy who comes up to us, and he's really tall, and he's lanky, and he's kind of hunched over, and he's smoking a cigarette, and he kind of like, as we're walking past, he kind of mumbles something at us, and I don't hear what he says, because I'm like, car, let's go, car, right now. Um, and... 
Chris grabs me on the shoulder and he says, Mike, wait. And what came out of my mouth was, yeah, sure, Chris, let's stop. And in my head, I was like, oh no, what are we doing right now? Like, it's way too late at night. Like, we're not in a nice neighborhood. Like, we gotta go, man. Um, and Chris turns around and he pulls his wallet out of his back pocket. He pulls the last $6 that he has in his wallet. And he goes up to the man who's hunched over and is smoking a cigarette. And he gives him his last $6 and he shakes his hand. And he doesn't just leave after that. He goes up to the man and he says, brother, are you good? And the man didn't even know how to respond to that. He was kind of like, yeah, I'm okay. Um, and Chris goes, do you have a place to stay tonight? And the man kind of mumbles, he's like, well, I, like I got a tent a couple blocks away from here. And Chris says, can I pray for you? And now this guy who's hunched over, like straightens up a little bit and his eyes get wide and he takes a cigarette and he like ditches it behind him. Um, and, and Chris prays for him in the moment. And he says, you know, God, can you give this man what he needs? Because it's not just money. And that's all he said. And then we walked away. And in that moment, I saw what it meant when we prioritize God's people over money. Chris easily could have said, you know, this is my last six bucks, I need to save this for lunch tomorrow. But he saw the need in God's people and he said, this is an opportunity that God does not want me to pass up. And so here's the thing, on your way in, you received a gold coin. This gold coin symbolizes the power that money has in our lives and the way that we let it consume us. That our chasing after this coin creates so many problems and issues in our life. And so I want to leave you with a challenge. In a moment, we're going to invite you up uh, for the ritual of the imposition of ashes. And as you come up, you'll see stations up here. And I want you to offer your repentance. Think about the ways that money has taken hold over you in the last year. And after you receive your ashes, you'll be invited to come up and ditch your coin up onto the platform. As you leave today, you'll be given something new. You'll be given this round piece of clay. There's nothing special. There's nothing valuable about this piece of clay. But I challenge you to take it with you this Lenten season. I challenge you to hold it in your pocket and every time that you reach into your pocket to say a prayer. And even if you don't have time for a prayer every time you touch it, may it remind you to prioritize God's people over money. Because I don't know what the answer to this question will look like for you. When you ask yourself, what would it look like to love God's people more than money? I don't know what that looks like for you. But I know for my parents, it meant giving away their things without expecting something in return. For Chris, it meant giving his last six dollars and praying over someone. And for Jesus, it meant calling out systems of extortion. Let's pray. God, we come to you with heavy hearts. 
knowing that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. God, we have loved money more than you, and we have prioritized money over people. God, I ask that you walk with us, that you remind us of your commandments to love you and to love one another. That every time we touch our coin, that we might be reminded of the way that you love people and the way that we are supposed to too. So God, forgive us now as we think about the ways that we have sinned in this past year, as we come forth with contrite hearts. God, make your forgiveness real and continue to remind us that it is freely given. It's in your name we pray. Amen.